Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Miguel Garcia, Sustainable Agriculture Program Manager with the Napa County Resource Conservation District in California. Miguel will be discussing cover crops and carbon farming. Welcome to the podcast, Miguel. Thank you. Happy to be here. So to get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, so currently, I work as the Sustainable Act Program Manager for the Napa County Resource Conservation District. I essentially oversee all of our programs related to soil conservation, which also involves carbon sequestration, carbon farm planning, and also anything related to water conservation. I work directly with growers. Uh, We have experimental sites around the county that I also oversee. We also host a lot of educational sessions with growers, uh, students, anybody pretty much that would listen. Um, We try to work with them. And uh, I'm also fortunate to be bilingual. So we provide a lot of uh, the same information in Spanish to the farm workers of Napa County. I hold a PhD in environmental sciences from UC Riverside uh, and a bachelor's in chemistry also from UC Riverside. And for the past five years, I've been focusing on the application of of environmental science, environmental chemistry into agricultural systems. I've been with the Napa RCD for two years now. Before I worked uh, for the Coachella Valley Resource Conservation District and the Inland Empire Resource Conservation District. I've been doing this for about five years now. And uh, before my educational, I was actually born and raised in in Mexico. Uh, So I'm relatively new uh, to the country as well. Uh, Yep, that's pretty much uh, my background. Fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about what does carbon farming entail? That is a big question. Um, The way that I try to put it is that the concept of carbon sequestration is not a new concept uh, as Everybody should know uh, plants receive carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they process it in through photosynthesis to produce sugars. There is a symbiotic relationship between the plant roots and the soil microbes. So the plants will exude organic compounds, sugars into the soil to feed the microbes. In exchange, the microbes will process nutrients and will uh, feed the plants. So in this case, carbon is the currency between plants and and microbes. So this has always been the case since plants have ever existed, even before humans were on this planet. More recently, we have adopted the concept of carbon sequestration as a way to educate farmers into how to maximize that relationship of the carbon being processed by the plants and the carbon being exuded by the plants and being processed by the microbes. Because we understand that having carbon into the soil benefits the general soil health, but also has a huge potential to help us mitigate climate change. So the concept of carbon sequestration and carbon farm planning 
entails the planning of management practices, uh, in a lot of cases, soil management practices, that will allow us to put as much carbon in the soil as possible, while also limiting as much carbon being released from the soil as possible. And in the end, this will benefit soil health, but it will also help us uh, mitigate climate change. Great job boiling down such a, a big topic <laughs> into a, a sound bite. Um, so talk a little, you kind of alluded to this in your yes. uh, answer, but what are some of the benefits to growers um, of carbon sequestration? There's a couple uh, reasons why a farmer might be interested in, in carbon farming, carbon sequestration. The way that I try to sell it to them is that putting carbon into the soil is the best thing that we can do for the soil health. And if we have a healthy soil, a soil will be able to function, will be able to do its job. It will be more resilient against um, ex extreme weather events. So in the long run, if we want to continue farming and we want to feed the 10 billion humans that are, are coming in the next few years, we need to do it in a sustainable way. And the only way, in my opinion, that we can do that is by protecting our soil health. So that, uh, to me, is, is the most important aspect. And that's the way that I try to sell it to farmers is that they will have a great benefit for the soil. But uh, at least here in Napa, and it, this is gaining more momentum in other parts of the state that I know, but it also has a marketability to it. Uh, here in Napa, the consumer demographic tries to be more uh, knowledgeable about where crops come from and what they're consuming. So in a lot of cases, I've heard from farmers here in Napa that the fact that they are practicing carbon farming and that they can show that they're farming sustainably has uh, a leverage for them to be able to sell their product a little bit better. And then finally, it's the benefit for the environment. So I have farmers that uh, want all of it. I have farmers that maybe are more interested in the marketing aspect of things. And I have growers that just truly care about the environment. So I use those three different aspects to try to uh, quote unquote convince farmers to, to go into carbon farming. Great. So uh, what, what does it take for a farming operation to transition into using more practices that are that do more carbon sequestration? You would be surprised that it actually does not take a lot. Uh, from my experience, I've been doing this for the past five years. I have about uh, 50 carbon farm plants under my belt. Uh, in a lot of cases, it takes more education than anything, be able to convince the farmers that the practices that you are asking them to modify will actually have a great benefit because uh, farmers are human after all, and we're creatures of habit and it's hard to change the old ways. But in a lot of cases, I actually ask them to stop doing things rather than asking them to do more things. Uh, a major practice that benefits carbon sequestration is the elimination of tillage. And uh, you would think that we would have learned after the dust bowl that tilling, it's not good for the soil, but we still have farmers that do it. And there's some good reasons for doing it. It's not all bad, but when people do it excessively, just like anything else, it can have negative impact. So that is one thing that is the first thing that I ask growers is, do you till? Yes, can you stop doing it? And then they start thinking about it. But in a lot of cases, I ask them to stop doing some things. In a lot of other cases, actually, as I'm working with, uh, with farmers here in Napa, they're already doing 
some of the things that I would suggest, they just never knew or never realized that they were tied to carbon sequestration. So the first step in the current farm plan, uh, the way that I, I approach it anyways, is I look at all of their current operations and I develop a, a carbon dioxide budget. So I look at how much uh, CO2 is either sequestered or released on, based on their current practices. And that creates a visual for growers to see how their current practices stack up with carbon sequestration. So again, it's just a lot of education, a lot of talking in a lot of cases, uh, the changes are minimum. It's just modifying uh, some of the, the approaches to the management. Very good. So talk a little bit about the role that cover crops can play in a carbon sequestration system. Cover crops play a major role when it comes to carbon sequestration, but also just in protecting soil health in general. Uh, there's uh, four main concepts that, that the USDA uh, suggests and that we follow when it comes to protecting soil health, which also help sequester carbon. So one of them is keeping living roots in the soil for as long as possible, uh, keeping the soil covered and creating diversity. So the cover crops actually check all of those three boxes because cover crops provide living roots. If, uh, if something is it's growing in the soil and it's alive, it's interacting with the soil microbes, so it's exuding carbon. So that cover crop, it's also sequestering carbon, but it's also keeping the soil covered, so preventing any erosion that could uh, release carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. If we maintain cover crops uh, throughout the farming operations, then the potential for carbon sequestration just increases that much more. And uh, at least for Napa, where 99% uh, of the crop is grapes, cover crops introduce diversity. And diversity is very important for the above ground habitat, but it's also very important for the below ground habitat. If you go to any given farm and all you see is one species of crop, chances are that that is also going to reflect the type of diversity that you're going to see uh, within the microbes in the soil. So having cover crops introduces diversity, not only above ground, but also below ground. So to me, it's, it's one of the first things that I look at. If a farmer is not using cover crops, then that's one of the first things that I suggest on their current farm plan, because it's just going to have all, all of these benefits all around. Okay. And so um, you mentioned that a lot of growers have started adopting carbon sequestration practices. Can you quantify that for us? Like what percentage of growers on average um, are implementing these practices? Well, like I mentioned, a lot of them, a lot of farmers already were using uh, carbon farm practices without even realizing it. So that's where the education, uh, it's, it's very important. Before I joined NAPA RCD two years ago, we had developed maybe three or four carbon farm plants. When I joined, uh, we were able to get a few grants that allow us to do it. And ever since I, I've been here, I've developed about 35 plants. So uh, I am the only person in the county that is, uh, has the training to do this current farm plan. So I'm the only one. So I can pretty confidently say that the, the plans that I develop are the only ones that are in place. So this is about 35 out of about 500 uh, vineyards uh, that are here in Napa. So I'll let you do, do the math there. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to work on it. We're trying to expand on the work we're doing. We're trying to reach. We're making efforts to train more people to be able to do that. So the interest is there. Uh, I have uh, this year more and more people calling me interested that we're, we're beginning the process with. 
It's just that being the only person trained to do it, uh, it's going to take me a while to get to everybody. So now, because a lot of these practices are already being done, but maybe just don't have that carbon sequestration label, mm-hmm. what kind of costs are involved in maybe um, implementing some of those practices that need to be added or um, I guess what kind of addition to the bottom line are growers getting by um, removing practices from their systems that maybe um, are not carbon friendly? That's a good question. It's a little bit hard to quantify precisely um, because it's very site dependent. But what I will tell you is, for example, the by far the most significant practice uh, for carbon sequestration and for uh, improving soil health is compost applications. And at least here in Napa, the majority of growers already were in some sort of regime, whether they're organic or not, they, a lot of them are already in a regime to apply compost. Uh, so when I develop the compound plants for them, we just modify a little bit of when they do it and how they do it. So in the end, there's not a big cost associated with that. With the reduction in tillage has to come with the establishment of permanent cover crops. So uh, that, it, that definitely comes with a little bit of extra cost and it takes some time to establish a permanent cover crop after coming from uh, intensive tillage practices. So more than anything is uh, being patient. Uh, we're trying to work on quantifying a little bit more precisely the costs associated with, with these kind of practices. Uh, my gut feeling tells me that it, just from the, the, the people that I work with so far here is that there's not a lot more that needs to be spent. Uh, quite the opposite. When they reduce tillage, then they, they don't have a tractor, they don't have a tractor driver having to do that, reduce reduction in equipment, uh, things like that. But uh, I don't have a precise uh, number for you. We're working on that and hopefully in the near future we can have some information about the actual costs associated with with carbon sequestration. To me, uh, what I try to convince the growers is that there's a long-term benefit because if they increase carbon in the soil, uh, they increase soil health and that that increases water holding capacity, it increases nutrient loading and mobilization. So in the long run, they should be able to see a reduction in costs from irrigation and from nutrient applications. The precise number uh, will vary case by case, and, and we're working on developing a more precise uh, study on that. Okay, fair enough. So uh, talk about how do you go about measuring the amount of sequestered carbon in the soil? How do you know that uh, that these practices are, are being successful? That is the million dollar question. Um, there's a couple approaches to this. So there's a quantitative way and there's a qualitative way. So the way that uh, I got trained to do this kind of compound plants and the way that we do it is we utilize the Comet uh, tools that were developed by the USDA and uh, Colorado State, I believe, University. So that is a tool that it uh, incorporates a lot of research papers that were published and peer reviewed. Somebody just got all of those uh, research papers, put them together into a model. So there's a a free tool online that you can use, which is the Comet Tools, Comet Planner, Comet Farm, um, that you can look up online. And it allows you to put in your acreage, you can put in your region, 
and then you can put in the different practices and it propels uh, what they call a CO2 equivalent. Uh, that tool also measures nitrous oxide and methane, which are other greenhouse gases that we have to worry about in farm operations that are actually much more potent as greenhouse gases than carbon dioxide, but everything gets transformed into carbon dioxide equivalency. So that allows us to get a pretty good indication of the general direction in which the different practices will go in relation to carbon dioxide mitigation and carbon sequestration. By no means is a perfect tool. It's constantly being modified. Uh, I, I think it's the best tool that we have. They're still working on making it better. Uh, but they also do a 20-year average on that, and then they will give you a one-year breakdown. So it is hard to compare what is happening in the field because the tool uh, will measure not only the carbon that is actually put it, being put into the ground, but would also uh, account for carbon that gets incorporated into the plant tissue. So a way that I try to kind of keep track of what's working, what's not working, is simply by collecting soil samples throughout the different farms and measure for carbon. That gives us a pretty good indication of, of the general direction and what's working and, and what's not working. But carbon sequestration is very slow. It might, take, uh, it might take a while for you to start seeing some changes. And we cannot really compare the soil sample analysis results with the Comet Planner uh, estimates because we are only measuring the carbon in the soil. We are not necessarily measuring the carbon that goes into the plant. But between those two tools, we get a pretty good idea of how different management practices, carbon farm plant management practices will, will benefit uh, carbon sequestration. Again, they are not perfect, but I use them more as a qualitative tool. So I know, we know that the scientific consensus is there that different practices will sequester or release carbon from the soil. That we know. The amount um, can be a little bit up for the day, but we're doing the best that we can with these tools and measuring the carbon in the soil definitely help us keep track of what's actually working. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one -on -one local cons consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. You mentioned earlier that consumers in your area are uh, willing to pay more for products that are produced uh, by some of these growers who are utilizing carbon sequestration practices. What kind of a, a premium on products are you seeing and um, what difference is that making to growers' bottom line? This is very anecdotal and it varies from case to case. Uh, just what I've heard from growers is that they, their clients like the fact that they're doing these practices to, to be more sustainable. Uh, there's actually a, a local or semi-local organization called the Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. And they actually did a, a little bit of an investigation to show how much people, how much people would be willing to pay extra for sustainability. Um, 
So the general trend is that, yes, uh, being sustainable pays up. Uh, a lot of growers tell me that they end up saving money in the long run because if they're sustainable, they take care of the soil, they put carbon into the soil, they end up saving money in the long run. But how much exactly uh, more per se they can they can sell the product? Uh, I really I'm not the right person to to answer that. I just see general trends where people people just share things with me. Sure, sure. So whenever you're talking to growers about why they should use carbon sequestration practices, why might you phrase it as saying that? you know, thinking about carbon in the soil as a kind of fertilizer. What What is that mm-hmm. connection? Yeah, like I, I mentioned earlier, to me and to any soil scientist that you'll talk to, carbon in the soil is the currency for everything else. Carbon is at the center of all biological, physical, and chemical properties in the soil. We can measure a lot of things in the soil, but just by looking at how much carbon is in the soil, we can very accurately predict uh, the health of that soil and how that soil is able to do its job. So the carbon in the soil uh, indirectly benefits the plant uh, related to nutrients and, and serving as a fertilizer in the way that it maximizes the ability to retain and mobilize nutrients. So growers end up needing less nutrients because without carbon, there's nothing to hold on to the nutrients. So a lot of the nutrients that a lot of fertilizers that people add may be uh, infiltrated down or might be washed away or might be blown away. Uh, with the carbon in the soil, uh, it, it, it has a place, uh, the nutrients have a place to, to stay and mobilize so the microbes can access them more, more uh, uh, readily, but also the carbon itself in the soil is feeding the microbes so that the microbes can also do their job better. So carbon, it's not a fertilizer on its own, but it maximizes the ability of the soil to mobilize and retain nutrients, which in the long run, saves on nutrient applications. Okay, great. So now whenever you're putting together these plans for operations, do you ever recommend adding livestock to the system? And how have you seen that livestock being added to the system increases carbon capture? Good question. I don't have a lot of experience with livestock, although we are currently running an experiment with a researcher from UC Davis. Uh, the Napa City owns a vineyard in uh, the Carneros ADA, which we utilize as a sustainable demonstration site. And there we are investigating the, the incorporation of livestock. Uh, it's been going on for three years now. We should get some results to be able to actually understand the benefits. So it's not my area of expertise. I don't understand it completely, but in general terms, uh, grazing, uh, will mimic what happens in nature. And for us to farm in a way that mimics nature rather than against it, we'll always have a benefit. So out in the prairies, we had the buffalo grazing before we got rid of them. And that was the best thing that was happening for the soil. So the incorporation of livestock, unfortunately, is still a very active uh, research area when it comes to carbon sequestration. We don't understand 100% uh, what the benefits are related to carbon sequestration and the tool that we use to quantify other practices does not yet have that ability. So uh, it's something that we're working on and we probably will find out more about it in the next year or so. Okay, very good. So in your experience, have you found that a monoculture 
cover crop is a better choice for growers at sequestering carbon or is a cover crop mix typically a, a better selection? There's a lot of factors to consider, a lot of site uh, uh, conditions such as the soil type, soil texture, uh, just the, the way that they have managed the soil uh, before. But in general terms, um, just because we want to create diversity, like I was mentioning earlier, not only above ground, but below ground, I always recommend uh, seed mixes. If we can have at least nine species, uh, that's what I try to shoot for, but any diversity will be beneficial. I cannot tell you precisely if uh, having a, um, a single species versus a mix will have more or less carbon sequestration. What I know is that having a diverse cover crop uh, set of species will definitely improve the microbiological diversity and that in turn benefits soil health and plant health. Uh, so I would speculate with a high degree of confidence that I would expect, yeah, more, more carbon being sequestered with a diverse cover crop rather than a single species cover crop. The tools that we use to quantify don't allow us to introduce a lot of information about the diversity of the cover crop. In general terms, if the soil is covered with something, and especially if that's something, it's a living root, that's the best thing we can do for the soil. I always encourage growers to look down find uh, portions of the soil that are exposed because those are areas that are being, um, that we are not utilizing to its full potential and the soil health is being degraded. So the best thing we can do is to have something living in the soil at all times. So if it, the question is whether one species of cover crop or no cover crop, I would always pick the one species, but if we can diversify it, it's even better. Okay, fair enough. So, um, in these vineyards that have uh, implemented carbon sequestration practices, have they seen any yield improvements that they can uh, trace to um, their implementation of these carbon sequestration practices? That is another good question. You're asking very tough questions, but I, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I welcome that. Uh, we are working on it. Uh, we're working. Uh, I know that the, um, there's a, a few institutions um, that's keeping me the name right now, but there's some farm institutions that are looking into the, the, those kind of things. Uh, here in Napa, a lot of that, uh, a lot of information I have related to that is more anecdotal than anything. So I can tell you that growers will tell me like, yeah, my, my vines are doing better. Uh, the problem with all of this is that when we put carbon in the soil, I mean, it's not a problem, but something to consider is when we put carbon in the soil, we're increasing the fertility of the soil. And uh, I have experience working with a variety of other crops. This is the first time in my career that I focus in, in just one crop, in this case, grapes. Anywhere else in the country that I work, uh, they want the juices, the biggest crop ever. Uh, for one production, the size, it's not uh, what matters, it's the quality. So one area of research that we are trying to explore more is the, that connection between soil health, carbon sequestration, and the end product, which is wine in this case. So uh, don't have a lot to tell you about that other than we recognize the need to understand that more and we're working on it. Okay, good. Um, so a lot of growers maybe are familiar with the concept of carbon sequestration, but perhaps they've only been introduced to it uh, through the concept of a carbon credit system. 
Can you talk a little bit about how some of those carbon credit systems work? And are you do you work with any growers who uh, participate in some of those carbon credit systems? Actually, I don't have any experience with carbon credits. I've been very fortunate in my career so far that I've been uh, able to work for agencies that have the funding to just uh, help on the development of compound plants for the sake of helping the farmers and helping the land uh, in the environment. So I haven't had any experience with carbon credits. Actually, I'm very interested to learn more about it. That's okay. That's totally fine. So um, for some growers, maybe growers in the Midwest or the Northeast who have a cropping system that's designed more for an annual turnover uh, type approach, what would be your guidance to those type of growers who maybe are looking to implement more perennial type cover crops mm -hmm. into a system that's, that's really designed for just an annual uh, picture? Yeah, that is a big problem um, because uh, if somebody's just managing uh, their their farms in a way that they're just looking to work seasonally there, there's going to be times uh, throughout the year that the soil is going to be bare and it's not going to be covered with anything. And it's missing a, a huge opportunity to sequester more carbon, but also when the soil is not protected by, uh, for example, a cover crop or, or some other vegetation, you actually lose carbon in the form of carbon dioxide from the soil. So unfortunately, a lot of vineyards here in Napa, they were just not designed for sustainable practices. Uh, on the other side, uh, fortunately, uh, there's a lot of development always happening in, in Napa. The vineyards are in place for 20 years or so, and then things get redeveloped. So that gives an opportunity for me to educate the growers about how they can change the way that they uh, design their vineyard. So ultimately, anybody that is willing to do it and is willing to go the extra mile will make it happen regardless. But if somebody has a clean sleeve and they're just redeveloping, that's the time that I like talking to them to see if we can help them modify in any way the design so that it would be more um, it would be more friendly for these kind of practices. One very clear example is the integration of, of sheep or, or grazing in vineyards. It, you can only bring the vineyards when the vines are dormant because otherwise the sheep will eat the, the vines. But if you design your vines in a way that they are taller and you have some sort of system to prevent the sheep from accessing that, which there's some cases of people that have been successful with that, then you can get the benefit of grazing year round. Similarly with cover crops, if, um, if your rows are designed in a certain way that you cannot, that you have to till your cover crop and that just mowing it and allowing it to grow year round, uh, you're missing the opportunity of sequestering carbon. And also almost nobody has irrigation system established to water the cover crop. They just let the cover crop grow during the winter with the winter rains. And then that's it, nothing else grows in the remaining of the year. So a lot of this is uh, educating the growers, showing them the concepts and showing them uh, cases where people have been successful so that they can feel a little more comfortable trying it. Okay, great. Well, um, we are running out of time today. So uh, where can our listeners go for more information about uh, carbon sequestration and implementing carbon farming practices? The best place uh, will be to reach out to lo your local agencies, your USDA, Natural Resource Conservation Service, uh, 
the resource conservation districts are called something differently around the country. In California, we're called resource conservation districts. In other states, it might be called something else, but I encourage you to reach out to your local agencies. And we're fortunate enough to have a local agency here, a nonprofit that is the Carbon Cycle Institute, which to me is the main source for education. That's how I got my training. They have very knowledgeable people there and they're always willing to help. So the Carbon Cycle Institute would be the first place that I would recommend anybody to take a look at when interested in carbon sequestration. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Miguel. I really appreciate all the interesting information and um, we don't have a lot of guests on our podcast who talk about uh, growing vineyard crops. So that's always exciting to hear and learn more about that. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things Cover Crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.